ESPN Sports Radio 1392.5. Now for something completely different. We're going to bring, bring it all together. ESPN Radio 1392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Man, it felt like fall when I walked outside this morning. It's been really warm this week, but man, it felt like football weather. And football starts this week. We'll talk about that coming up. 859-381-1313. If you'd like to call in and join in on the conversation, you can email the show anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. On today's show, the calendar says August the 1st. That means the NFL preseason opens up this Thursday night, four days away. And that means fantasy football drafts are here. And you can become the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion this fall by going to kffsc.com. And the commissioner of that league, Farrell Elliott, will join us around 930 or so to talk fantasy football with us. The Reds blow another one last night, as only the Reds can in 2021. And is it crazy to bet these preseason NFL games? Oh, you should never bet these NFL preseason games. Nobody cares, and you're right. But we have data that says not only is it not crazy, but it's profitable. We have trend that proves it, and you'll be looking at playing it this week if you listen to this trend. So we'll have that. And of course, as always, the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar, coming off a profitable day yesterday and looking to take yet another Major League Baseball underdog today. All this and much, much more coming up on this week's Sunday edition of The Bottom Line. And as always, we thank you for listening. But first, Richard Jewell and the Olympic Park bombing of 1996. The Olympics are continuing this week in Tokyo. All the signs say Tokyo 2020. Why don't they change the signs to say Tokyo 2021? That would be cool. I don't know why they still say 2020. That's another story for another day. But apparently they just ran the 100-meter dash. I always thought it was a 100-yard dash. But it's a 100-meter dash. And the winning time was 9.80. Nothing. Uh, it didn't even beat uh, Ben Johnson's steroid record of 9.79 from 1988. By the way, Ben Johnson, one of my favorite all-time people. He still denies it, but yet sometimes he doesn't deny it. That's another another story, too. But it's weird to watch all these events at the Olympics, no fans, and they're still trying to incorporate the fan noise and the like. It's even more awkward than when our professional and college sports leagues last year tried to do the same thing, piping in the noise when nobody was there. But I was asked yesterday, hey, Why aren't you talking more about the Olympics on your show? There's odds on those things, right? Yeah, there are. There are odds on the Olympics. There's betting odds on all this stuff. Well, most of the stuff, anyway. Then you should be talking about it, right, gambling boy? I was literally called gambling boy yesterday. That's true. Well, here's why you won't hear much Olympic talk on this show. First and foremost, this is more of a TV storytelling event than anything else. I've got too much stuff going on in the real world to get involved in swimmers and gymnasts 
that me or not many other people will see or hear from again after this week for another four years until the next Olympics, or another three years, I guess, since they uh, delayed this one. That's not an insult or a put-down, but for you people that watched the Olympics this week religiously, be honest. When was the last time you watched a swimming race? Seriously. Probably the last Olympics. And I'm just telling it like it is. Howard Cosell style. But more importantly, I don't have much historical data to go on with these Olympics. Maybe golf and tennis might be the only events where you could even come up with going off past performances to handicap a winner. But you want to try to handicap this Olympic basketball tournament going on against a point spread? Be my guest. But seriously, if you're betting on these Olympic events, you're basically doing it for one of two reasons. You've been heavily influenced by the storytelling media to believe things that may not be true. Or you just need the action and you're a degenerate like we are. But the Olympics never were the same for me after 1996 and after this absolutely true story. You've all seen the movies, the documentaries about Richard Jewell, the man who was originally and wrongly accused of the Olympic Park bombing in Atlanta in 1996. But I remember this event very, very well because I was there that night. In the summer of 1990, I just moved to Atlanta, and that summer it was announced that Atlanta was going to host the Olympics six years out. And the city went crazy. And as Atlanta was known to do at the time, not so much anymore because times have changed, but when something big happened, outdoor street parties would just occur. They'd just pop up out of nowhere in downtown and in the Buckhead area where all the uh, establishments were. But at the time, in 1990, Atlanta was still a city on the rise. Now they're getting the Olympics, too. Yeah, the big deal 30 years ago. The Olympics were a much bigger deal 30, 40 years ago. I still remember as a kid the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. You saw merchandising and all kinds of paraphernalia anywhere, everywhere for that. And we were sitting here in Kentucky. But, of course, many still say to this day that the main selling point and the main reason Atlanta got those Olympics in the first place was that nobody had more nudie bars per capita than Atlanta. And the Olympics were run by a bunch of creepy old men who looked like stuff that would be choosing a site would be in their best interest. But I digress. But the Olympics were going to be the biggest event Atlanta ever had. And the locals, like myself, we were preparing for it. But just like when the weather forecast is predicting a possible snow flurry in Atlanta, the hysteria was on full tilt for the Olympics. Even the biggest businesses in the city were checking out. Coca-Cola, probably the biggest business in Atlanta. Been there the longest time, too. They gave all their employees the two weeks of the Olympics off. Hey, just go take a vacation. And so did all the other big companies. They weren't going to try to commute back and forth during this Olympic mess in Atlanta. Because Atlanta's bad enough traffic-wise on a normal day. But add in the Olympics, now you've got an absolute disaster waiting to happen. So many of the Atlanta people were trying to actually get out of town for the Olympics instead of sticking around and trying to enjoy them. And a lot of people were even renting out their homes to try to make a quick dollar off the event. But as the Olympics approached, many locals like myself, were fearing 
that it was going to be the most hectic and chaotic time in the history of the city, and that's saying something for a city like Atlanta. But like a lot of things in Atlanta during those days, the hype surrounding the Olympics was a lot more than the actual product itself. And everybody was trying to make a dollar off this thing. I can honestly say, traffic was never better in Atlanta than those two weeks because nobody was on the roads. Everybody was gone. What usually took an hour now took just a few minutes. And as Yogi Berra famously said once, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. That's exactly what Atlanta was like during those Olympics. Everybody left because it was too crowded. The tourists were downtown at the events, but the locals were either gone or hiding out, waiting for the coast to clear. But normal life was never easier. But that cash cow that everyone thought was the Olympics turned out to be a huge bust. There were so many people who were trying to sell T-shirts and memorabilia along the side of the road and stuff like that, that nobody was going to make a profit. Heck, I came up with a scheme of my own. After the basketball dream team of 1992, I was going to get some basketball tickets and then scalp them for for big-time big bucks. Well, I made some money off doing that. Wait, did I, did I just admit to scalping tickets on the radio? I don't know what you're talking about. I might have made some money off doing that, but not nearly as much as I'd hoped for originally. Everybody thought the Olympics was going to be a big moneymaker for everybody, and it was far from it. But on the Friday night in the first week of the 1996 Olympics, my friends and I decided we were going to take a trip downtown to see what these Olympics were all about. So we get down to Olympic Park, we walk around, try to see what's going on, and everything was just lame. And there's just, It just didn't seem like anything was going on. This is on a Friday night at the Olympics. Like everybody else during those two weeks, and everything else, it was overrated. We stayed down there in a few hours. We were like, this is it? Where's all the hubbub? Where's all the excitement? We gave it every attempt we could, and it was just not happening. And it felt like we were forcing it. So eventually we just figured it out. Let's get out of here and head down to our usual favorite hangouts where we normally go and just get out of here and say the Olympics, just chalk it up as a loss. So we walk right by the AT&T Tower on the way to the MARTA subway train and head down to our usual usual hangouts. But of course, it took about an hour or so because of the crowds. We made it. When we got there, everybody was quiet and they were watching these huge outdoor televisions that had been set up that everybody was watching. We actually saw some people we knew. We started yelling at them, you know, happy to see them. But they looked at us like, hey, be quiet. Now's not the time. We had no idea what was going on because we'd been on a martyr train for about 45 minutes or so. We're like, what's going on? And somebody told us that a bomb had just exploded at Olympic Park. And we were like, whatever. We were just there. No bomb went off. That's crazy talk. But a bomb did go off. And come to find out, we walked right past that AT&T Tower where it went off about an hour before it exploded. That's a true story. Once we realized it happened and how close we were to what happened, we couldn't believe how lucky we were to escape. And of course, we all said we were never going back to the Olympics ever again. And the aftershocks kept on coming with the bomb hysteria. We couldn't get back to our cars. We couldn't get home. So we had to wait on rides from buses just to get back to our cars because the city had closed everything down from subways and public transportation because everybody was in panic. And it was a rough night for everybody. I remember walking through my door 
about 7 o'clock in the morning. That was right after seeing joggers out running in the morning, and I wanted to basically strangle all of them because I was so tired and so jealous that they were got a night's rest, and they were out running. I'd been out all night just trying to get back home. So I walk in, flip on the TV, try to fall asleep, and there's a press conference happening live in the air. They're announcing that the games will go on as scheduled, regardless of the bomb going off. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. I'm out. Seacrest out. So I go to bed. The phone rings immediately. It's one of my other friends who weren't, wasn't with me the night before. And they asked me, hey, do you, uh, are you busy today? I said, yeah, I'm going to be sleeping all day. He goes, hey, do you want to go down to the Olympics with me? I've got an extra ticket for table tennis. <laughs> I just laughed, politely declined, and hung up the phone. Yeah, after that night, I'm not going to go back down there, first of all. And second of all, I'm not going back down there to watch ping pong. I can do that on my own. I can play ping pong on my own. And, of course, we all know what happened after that. Award-winning documentaries have been made about Richard Jewell, who was wrongly accused by the media, rushing to find a suspect to avoid embarrassment. It's one of the saddest stories in Atlanta history, basically convicting an innocent man just so they could say they had their man. By the time he was exonerated months later, the damage was already done to Jewell who was a sympathetic character, to say the least, and a guy who died way too young at age 44. And most people say it was over the stress and the side effects of being accused of that Olympic Park bombing back in 1996. So if you wonder why we don't talk about the Olympics much on this show, it's because we've been there and we've done that. We didn't even get the T-shirt. I still don't have any T-shirts or anything from that Olympics. So if you have action on these Olympics, hey, like we always say at the end of the show, may the winners be yours. But we'll stick to what we know. We actually have him where we actually have some historical data to help us handicap those. Other than just guessing based off what the biased media tries to fit in a narrative to get more rating spins for us. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Last night, the Reds played the kind of game that they will remember after the season if they don't make the playoffs, which uh, they probably won't at this point. They'll remember that game last night as one they should have had, losing in 10 innings to the Mets 5-4. to Joey Votto literally came inches away from tying a major league record for home runs in consecutive games. But he'll have to start another streak today. That's kind of like back in 1978 when Pete Rose's 44-game hitting streak ended, which ironically happened 40, which happened today, back in 1978, August 1st. So it's been a long time for that one too. But Pete Rose's 44-game streak ended. He was asked after that game, "Will he start another streak tomorrow?" And he goes, "Well, I'll try." He knew he'd never get that far again, and nobody has gotten that far again, 44 games in a row. Because it's not easy when you get so close to one of these unreachable records, unbreakable records that they always talk about. So Votto will try again to break that streak, and he won't do it. But anyway. But good news last night, Eugenio Suarez hit his 20th home run of the season, now on pace to hit 31 for the season. Hey, not terrible, but still not the at least 53 that he promised during spring training. Bad news for Suarez, he's still only hitting 173 on the season and is on pace for 197 strikeouts. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. But the Reds were in a position last night to win this one 
in a game they were an underdog. The Mets went off as a minus-125 favorite in this one. But as usual, the bullpen blew it again. This time, though, I think it might have been more David Bell's misuse of that bullpen, even more than their lousy pitchers that come out of that bullpen. Closer Heath Hembry, who had seven saves in the first 24 days of July. Remember, that includes an all-star break in the middle of that. But the magic might be over for Heath Hembry now. He's allowed runs in each of his last three appearances. And the Reds' closers, ERA, is now back up to 4.78. Let's just be honest. You don't see closers on contending teams with an ERA higher than three, much less at 4.78. I digress. But Henry was brought in last night to start the ninth inning with a one-run lead. Henry walked the first man, Wild pitched him to second, but then struck out the next two batters. Okay, one out away from another big win for the Reds. Here comes David Bell to the mound. Uh Uh-oh, got to bring in the lefty Sean Doolittle to face lefty Dominique Smith, who's batting for the Mets. Don't try to outthink the room, David Bell. You know what happens next. Dominique Smith of the Mets gets a single. The run scores. Sean Doolittle looks like the GOAT. And the game is tied going into extra innings. And yes, the Mets won the game in extra innings, getting the game-winning hit off that hot trade deadline pickup, Luis Sessa. Lather, rinse, repeat. So I don't give that game to the, the lousy bullpen as much as I blame it on David Bell again. But yes, not a good sign for this Reds bullpen. But the Reds now sitting... 55-50 and 50 on the season, seven games behind Milwaukee in the National League Central, but only four games behind the Padres for the wild card, and even better news for the Reds, the Padres just lost Fernando Tatis to the injured list. Fernando Tatis, quite possibly the best player in baseball. So if you're going to start making a run for the wild card, the time is now, but the desert says the Reds have an 8% chance of winning the National League Central and still have a 23% chance of making the playoffs as a wild card. Is 23% enough to validate not trading Nick Castellanos at the deadline? We shall see. But today, in a game that can be heard right here on ESPN Radio 1392.5 at 1240, it's the third and final game of the series and the final game of the season between the Reds and Mets at City Field in New York. Vladimir Gutierrez for the Reds, 5-3, 4.75 ERA. Marcus Stroman for the Mets, 7-9, but... 2.63 ERA for the Mets. Gutierrez faced the Mets on July 19th, a couple of weeks ago. Didn't go well at all. Four innings, six earned runs in that one. But Gutierrez hasn't been very good for a while now. It wasn't just that game. In his last seven starts, Gutierrez has a 5.97 ERA. So take away those first four starts at the beginning of his career early in the season, Gutierrez is just a guy trying to hold on to his spot in the rotation. The only saving grace for him is that the Reds have actually turned a profit out in the desert when Gutierrez pitches. The Reds are 6-5 and five when Gutierrez starts. Eight of those 11 starts, the Reds were an underdog. So he's turned a 27% return on investment by just going 6-5. and five. That's good, but the numbers really say that Gutierrez is struggling right now, despite what's happened in the desert. For the Mets, Marcus Stroman has been a much better pitcher than Gutierrez this season, but he hasn't cashed the tickets on the desert as well. Stroman, a 2.63 ERA in 116 innings, ERA plus 149. That's 10th in the National League. He's been good. Not only that, Stroman shut out the Reds on one hit in eight innings 
on July 21st. But even with as good as Strowman has been this season, he hasn't made you money out in the desert. It is 21 starts. The Mets are 10 and 11 in those starts when Strowman goes this season. Return on investment, negative 6.2%. So, this is where you differ from the reality to the desert. Although Gutierrez has an ERA almost twice as high as Strowman does, Gutierrez has made you a profit in the desert this season, and Strowman has you eating ramen noodles under the bridge, wondering what went wrong this time. This line opened the Mets was a minus 155 to open, with the Reds a plus 145 road dog. The public all over the Mets right now, steaming the Mets up to a minus 180. And as we look this year, when the non-division favorite gets a 10 cents of steam, and that's a line change in their direction, that means that team wins 61.7% of the time. That's bad news for the Reds. And then teams off a win, like the Mets are, getting more than 15% of a line move in their direction. They also hit 59% on the season. That's another bad move for the Reds. The, the Mets this year, 37-25 and 25 as a favorite. The Reds, 22-26 and 26 as a dog. But that's kind of, as a road dog, the Reds have really been a profit, even despite losing last night. Mets, 26-14 and 14 as a home favorite this year. Stroman and the Mets deserve to be this big minus 180 favorite over the Reds. Total nine in this game. Both teams fried the back end of their bullpens last night, so there's no real advantage in bullpen rest. But today's game is all about the starting pitchers. And the Reds' starting pitcher has not been good since June, and the Mets' starting pitcher has been great all season. The Mets are the better team in this spot, but it's against our religion to lay minus 180 in a major league game with anybody. So we'll pass on this one in terms of sides, but a slight lead to the under based on our trend of taking the under that the public is against between two winning teams. And if you've done that over the last 16 years of Major League Baseball, you've hit the under 55% of the time in a sample size of over 2,600 games. That's pretty good. So if we went with anything today, it would be the under the nine total. But we'll pass on the sides because we don't have much faith that Gutierrez can shut down the Mets for five to six innings, which is at least what it will take for the Reds to win this game. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Hey, coming up after the break, you know what's coming up. It's the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio. Our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. That's next right here on ESPN Radio 1300 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday. Well, our quest on becoming the Robin Hood of Lexington Radio continues, taking from the, the rich bookmakers and giving to the public. And with that known, it's the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. How do we celebrate cashing a ticket out in the desert with a Mac Daddy Stogie from Jake's Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing? And as they say at Jake's, smoke local, drink local, cross the line with us. Check them out online, jakescigarbar.com. Make sure to tell our friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line sent you and they will give you the VIP treatment. That's jakescigarbar.com. Hey, forget this baseball junk. We've got preseason football this week. Wait a minute. Are you? I can hear it now. Are you telling me that you invested in preseason games? You're darned right we do. Oh, well, everybody, nobody's playing in these games. You're right. Nobody, you can't, you know. You can't predict who's going to play, who's not going to play. You can't predict these preseason NFL games. But, you know, on this show, 
You don't bet people and teams. You know what you bet? Numbers and lines. And we've got a trend that tells you you can make a profit off these preseason NFL games. Thursday night, we got the first one. The eternal battle of good versus evil. When the Cowboys and the Steelers face off in the Hall of Fame game, Oh, it harkens me back to my childhood during elementary school recess when the Cowboys fans were on one team and the Steelers fans were on the other team. I was on the Cowboys team, you know, the popular kids that the ladies loved. And the Steelers had the guys with questionable character that thought personal hygiene was optional. But that's neither here nor there. But yes, there's a line on this Hall of Fame game. The Steelers, a one and a half point favorite in this one. But here's our trend for the preseason. Take Small preseason underdogs against the money line. Not the point spread, the money line. During the preseason, if you take the underdogs that are between 0 and 3 points, you will hit 52.5% of the time. On the money line, that's not against the spread on the money line. So every time you hit, you're probably getting anywhere from plus 120 to plus 150 or 60. That adds up over time. So we're not even looking at the teams. We're just looking for the lines. Is there any line that's uh, plus three down to zero? We'll take it on the money line. People say investing in the preseason is crazy, and it probably is, but history tells us if you do this over the last 16 years, you'll make a return on investment of 18.5%. I kind of like that. So we'll take these short underdogs without wavering, no matter who they are. Dallas is that this week against Pittsburgh. We'll get some pizza money on that. Any short underdogs, three or less, take them. So if the Cowboys remain that short dog in this one, we'll be on them Thursday night, and that's the bottom line for that. But to make sure uh, our baseball picks, we uh, hit one out of two yesterday, but the good thing is when you take underdogs in baseball, you make a profit if you split. So we're going with one Major League Baseball today, and we're going back to San Francisco. The Astros and the Giants. The Astros, for our money, the best team in the American League. The Giants, are they a little bit fraudulent? Maybe, but the Giants are favored today at home. About a minus 115 right now. Luis Garcia for the Astros, 7-5, 3-1-9 3-1-9 Logan Webb for the Giants, 4-3, ERA. Giants won this game yesterday, but they burned up the entire backside of their bullpen to get there. While the Houston Astros, who just made a couple of trades for their bullpen, they didn't use their closer or their setup guys. So a better spot for the Astros' bullpen. I'm getting the better starting pitcher, and I got the better team. Rested bullpen, better starting pitcher, better team. 30-21, and 21, the Astros are on the road this year. We'll take the Astros as an underdog. You don't see it often. So when you get the Astros as a dog, we'll take them. The Astros getting some money out in the desert. Over the Giants today, your Mac Daddy Stogie. So take the underdog Cowboys on Thursday night and take the Astros today. Those are your Mac Daddy Stogies. Take those bad boys to the desert and smoke them. But after the break, it's fantasy football time. Do you want to like to win $15,000 or more on fantasy football this year and be crowned the Kentucky State Fantasy Football Champion? Go to KFFSC.com and make sure to listen after the break. Farrell Elliott, the commissioner of the KFFSC, will join us. That's next right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Hey, we've got a new sponsor here on the bottom line. Jimmy's Kentucky Roadshow Shop. Uh, sports collectibles skyrocketed during COVID, and there's no better place locally to get in the habit than with Jimmy's Kentucky Roadshow Shop. We've been out there a few times, and that setup out there is amazing. So go check out our friends Jimmy and David at Jimmy's Kentucky Roadshow Shop. Check them out online, KentuckyRoadshowShop.com. 
And speaking of things that could be seen as an antique with not as much value as it used to have, that brings us to our next guest. He is the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. And if you'd like to be crowned Kentucky State, the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion and bring home over fifteen grand, check out his website, kffsc.com. It's August 1st, so these drafts are starting up. He's Farrell Elliott. Farrell, how are you doing this morning, my friend? Oh, I couldn't be better. And congratulations to Kentucky Road Show Shop. Those are four words, Kentucky, hitting the road. And my girl loves the shop. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Those guys, I think they're on the way to success. Thank you, Farrell Elliott, for your business class 101. Are you teaching that up there at college this year? I don't need to take that course, I think. But uh, let's You're welcome look. anytime, Brad. Yeah, I guess I need to learn from the master, obviously. Let's look at some of these teams now. Let's talk fantasy football. Tampa Bay. We've got Tom Brady, everybody back this year. What do we do with Tampa Bay, and who is their wide receivers that we should be looking at? Because with Tom Brady, we saw in New England, and we saw last year, a lot of these guys, they go back and forth. Do we trust Mike Evans to be their number one this year? What do we look at in Tampa Bay with these wide receivers? You know, this is a really good time of the year, Brad. I love coming in to talk to you, but most of the time when guys are calling in and visiting with me and talking about coming to play in the KFFSC, I love listening now. I think a lot of guys are getting Tampa Bay wrong. They remember that old recency bias. They they remember exactly what happened at the end of the year and through the playoffs. They forget the fact that Tampa had really a rough start offensively to the year. Inexplicably, uh, Coach Arians would all run almost exclusively on first down. used to drive me crazy. Brady would have... uh, and they would run unsuccessfully on first downs, and Brady would be challenged with second and eights. And if you go back to even the playoff games, Brady was uh, very, very successful on third down throughout the season and in the playoffs. They flipped the switch at about week 11 or 12 in the season, and they started throwing the ball. Counting those playoff games, Brady threw the ball 750 times. So, yes, you can trust these wide receivers that are in this lineup. Now, it's going to look a little different this year. I think they've got the message. The running game is going to be continue to be handled well with Jones and Fournette. Uh, they'll split about 400 carries, but we're going to see a more creative passing game. And you're right about these receivers. Last year in their base set, they came out with a lot of Godwin, a lot of Gronkowski, and a lot of Evans, and they stood there while they watched the ball be carried. That's not going to be the case this year. So I'm going to elevate all these receivers. Godwin missed four games. He was on the route to a 90. uh, uh, His 12 games that he played, he looked like 90 catches average. So that's a very, very long answer. You can trust the receivers here. And, you know, he's had a tough life off the field, but Antonio Brown on the field. For this team, you should stay away from him. In drafts that we're having early in the KFFSC, Antonio Brown's a 10, 11, 12th round pick, which is a steal. Do you really think that's a steal? I'm looking at a mock draft you had just the other day. I saw him go in the eighth round of this one, and I saw the two Tampa receivers both go in the fourth round. So people are still believing in Antonio Brown, yeah. He's working his way up. Now, you're speaking of a draft we had, and we have these in the KFFSC. That was a satellite draft. Uh, I think that was titled Bluegrass Bound. And it, it attracts a lot of players who haven't been playing. 
And when you haven't been playing, you say, you know, I love Antonio Brown and I'm going to get him now. He, in our, in our main events and our slow drafts that are already taking place, he's a double digit pick. But you you, you may be very prescient there, Brad. By the time we get to the, uh, uh, Caesar Southern Indiana and draft in the showroom there, he might be in the eighth round. And at that point, I might look somewhere else. ESPN Radio 1392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Farrell Elliott of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. Make sure to look him up online, kffsc.com. I'm looking at a couple of these rookie wide receivers. Devontae mm-hmm. Smith, uh, the Heisman mm-hmm. Trophy winner, he's going early in these drafts, but he's not apparently going as early as a fellow rookie, Jamar Chase of the Bengals. Is that the way you would have these rated? Because Jamar Chase is going earlier than Devontae Smith, although we could argue which one is better. We could, and we couldn't get to the right answer. Right. And from fantasy purposes, they're better in different ways. Traditional football powerhouse, Jamar Chase is, is a much has a much cleaner route to success in an offense that needs to throw the ball, that has a quarterback designed to throw the ball. And he's worth his draft capital. One of the few rookie players that is, that the hype equals the potential. Smith is not getting a lot of hype. Matter of fact, there's a lot of finger-pointing to some of the other drafters when they take Smith. There's a lot of talk about his body. It reminds me of an old scout that once told me uh, we were evaluating player. I said, that player doesn't look very explosive. He doesn't have much definition uh, in, in the legs. And he says, those aren't legs. Those are getaway sticks. And I'll never forget that. That's exactly what this kid Smith has. He's got... He's got two sticks coming out from the jersey, but he is a player that ended up at Philadelphia, and he is compromised somewhat from a success standpoint by the complementary talent of the players around him. Uh, I have a lot of questions about his quarterback, at least where he is right now. Uh, the quarterback last year, here's a stat that will tell you a little bit about how Smith is going to be important to him. There were 41 players that qualified uh, for the completion percentage standings, uh, and Hertz finished 38th among them. He was not very accurate. One of the running back situation uh, returns uh, with two running backs, uh, Boston Scott, and a starter over there, Miles Sanders, who were not successful either. Uh, they, they, were, they didn't create much value for their team carrying the ball. So the end result is that this player, Smith, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a horizontal pass receiver. They're going to throw him the ball and create situations for him to move, and he will be successful in that from a fantasy situation. I think we're going to be looking – a lot of third and longs where they get the ball to Smith and see if he can beat the defense with his legs. Same with the quarterback. Uh, Philadelphia, they're very challenged. They're going to get healthy. They, they can't help but to be as injured as they were last year. But long story short, no matter what they do, uh, Smith is going to be a central part of it, and that will pay dividends for the fantasy drafters. I know you've been doing this a long time, Farrell, so I appreciate you uh, talking about uh, scouting Don Hudson from back in the day. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, uh, yes, let's let's look at these draft boards. We look at these quarterbacks now. And in these drafts now, everybody's on board. Let's wait on a quarterback. Let's wait on a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes in this draft I'm looking at here, a fourth-round pick. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, both uh, the dual-threat quarterbacks. They're going into the fifth round. 
are we getting to a point now where you can say, hey, with these quarterbacks, we know we should wait, but maybe people are waiting too long on the best ones? It, it possibly you can, but you don't want to. You don't want to pay more than what it's worth. Right. And it, it for for the guys that's listening at home and say, hey, in my home league, we draft two or three quarterbacks in the first round. Well, you probably have rules that give you six points per touchdowns. Our rules in the KFFFC and in most high stakes fantasy football across the country, the quarterbacks are awarded five points per touchdown. But uh, nevertheless, the variance of outcomes for uh, uh, the quarterback position. Is, is tighter than it is at other positions. And that's why people are looking to get elite wide receivers, uh, elite uh, running backs. And, Brad, you'll notice that in that draft, I'm certain uh, that you saw the elite tight ends go perhaps even earlier than some of the quarterbacks. Do you agree with that first round on Travis Kelsey in the KFFSC? I do, and I expect Waller may be there in some drafts, too. He's just a, a game-changer at the position. Yeah. You think he's a first-round pick? Wow. That's, yeah, that's yeah, saying yeah. I, I'm not about the talent. It's about the scoring and just trying to compile points. But drafting him in the first round, you better get everything right. If you, That's the thing about taking these tight ends early. It's great, yeah. and you get an advantage, but, man, you better hit on the rest of these running backs and receivers you take because if you get enough busts, you're in big trouble, probably bigger trouble if you don't. But that's you know another story about draft strategy. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Farrell Elliott from the KFFSC. Make sure to check out KFFSC.com to make sure you're crowned Kentucky State, the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion. I look around at uh, the, the Packers now with Aaron Rodgers. Did that change mm-hmm. Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones? Does that change their draft position at all? And can we debate that Aaron Jones should be drafted ahead of Devontae Adams. They're going very, very close together, and it right. just depends on how you want to build a team. But I think in the KFFSC, where we must start three wide receivers, that Adams will go first, but it will only be about a few slots. I thought um, that was a very, very meaningful uh, press conference from Aaron Rodgers. He, uh, he kept it real. And, you know, we could build a whole show around that. I'm sure you exhausted that topic this week. But it's uh, uh, those two players return in the draft order uh, is anywhere between the 10th and the 15th pick, which is where they should have been all the time. Drafters that took advantage of those two players' availability. And even more importantly, Aaron Rodgers, who was, who was in some of the early drafts, was dropping to the double-digit rounds. Uh, those are some people that waited on a quarterback and got quite a steal. Yeah, I'm looking at these receivers still uh, down the line. We look at a guy like A.J. Brown, who could be the best in all of fantasy, but now he's got a sidekick, Julio Jones. Are we kind of overrating A.J. Brown, knowing that Julio Jones is on the other side? He's going to take some numbers away from it. I don't think so, but much to Brown's uh, happiness, he now has a, um, a running mate, at wide receiver that's going to keep that safety from cheating on his side. Uh, A.J. Brown always seems to have to catch his ball in a crowd. And if he may, if he catches it and beats the corner, there's the safety. It's been physically demanding uh, reality uh, for Brown ever since he entered the league. Now uh, you're in a situation where you're going to have to play a more traditional set in which you roll a safety in either direction. Uh, the other receiver is likely to catch the ball. And Brown is the ascending talent there. So I think at the end of the day, uh, receptions may be uh, 
the same. Uh, it may be a, a few less, but yardage will be more and touchdowns will be more. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Farrell Elliott of the KFFSC. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Cam Akers' injury, and now mm. Daryl Henderson is kind of seen as the uh, the incumbent now, and he's going probably at fourth, fifth round in a lot of these drafts. Are we underestimating him, although he's really not proven, but he's moving up these lists. Should he be going higher than the fourth or the fifth round right now? I think he maybe should. Yeah, I think you're 100% right, Brad Taylor. And he'll end up occupying the third round, and he'll go in the neighborhood of Dobbins before it's over. Let drafters see this player run in the preseason. And uh, you won't see a lot of it, but you'll see some of it. And that'll be enough to give people understanding what who this player is. Anyone that wants to read the numbers can go to week four at Buffalo last year against the stout defense. He had a 100-yard game on 20 carries, averaged 5.7 yards a carry. That's all I needed to see. I don't think there's a big, big difference in these players. And, um, yeah, I would love to have Henderson on my team. And So if you can get him in the fourth round now, I think it's a value. Does the Carson Wentz injury in Indianapolis, does that change anything uh, fantasy-wise? Yes, it does. It's, it's very troubling, and it will change. It'll move those receivers who have not moved up the board, Pittman, uh, Hilton, Paris Campbell, they have not ascended up the board because a lot of people don't don't trust the Wentz experiment. I happen to trust it. I'm even more than trusted. I happen to be a champion of it. However, uh, I hope we get some good news about this injury. It seems very mysterious, and that's usually not good when they're not talking about it. It's usually nothing good to talk about. So the quarterback that comes in now uh, – Gets the gets the season. Eason, uh, player transferred from Georgia, I believe, out to Washington to be a Washington Husky. Uh, he's a good quarterback, fourth round player. Uh, got a, he has a lot of uh, long range touch on the ball, which is very important considering that uh, Hilton and Pittman are in that offense. He's probably uh, one of his shortcomings was that uh, you know he doesn't know when to take the gas out of his arm and drop the ball off. That will come through the preseason. He's got great quarterback coaches. If any team with any coaching situation were to lose their starting quarterback, uh, Indianapolis is probably in the best situation to take advantage of it because of the quality coaching. This kid's not a rookie. He's in his second year. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I would not hesitate uh, to draft these players um, at the wide receiver positions in Indianapolis. And because of the injury, I'm going to look even closer at the backup running backs, uh, especially Marlon Mack, who's coming off a an injury, but in 2019 was a 1,000-yard rusher. Early on, the Colts may have to lean more on the rushing attack. There's a player that's almost for free in drafts that might surprise you, uh, given what the team will need from him early in the season. He's Farrell Elliott of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. Farrell, tell us how we can get in touch with you and bring home big cash money this fantasy football season. The website is kffsc.com. People that are used to joining fantasy leagues can get all you want right there. You can talk to uh, me and uh, by calling and talking a little fantasy football at 502 502- We've got an event, Brad, that's uh, a welcoming event. It's for people that love fantasy football. If you love it, you need to play here. If you're the kind of guy that's been 
beating all your buddies every year, it's, it's time for you to step up because we've got a $15,000 grand prize, a trophy that'll live on your uh, mantle forever, and uh, big prizes associated with opportunities to play in the FFPC for our top five players. That's a national contest in Las Vegas where the grand prize is half a million dollars. So there's a lot of reasons to come over here and enjoy what we have to offer you the 27th through the 29th. We, we're in Cincinnati, August 15th, Brad. Uh, that event, due to the help of your radio station and this show, we're completely sold out. And if you if you just don't pull the trigger and you just can't get here that weekend, online for us starts August 6th, and we'll run through the first few days of September so you can draft in the same main event. Uh, from right there, listening to Brad Taylor on the radio, uh, right in your own home. It's the best contest of the business, the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. He's Farrell Elliott, the commissioner. Farrell, as always, we thank you for joining us this morning. All right, brother. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, buddy. That's Farrell Elliott of the KFFSC. Coming up after the break, we'll get you ready for the rest of the day on ESPN Radio, including the Angelo Show at the top of the hour, right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. It's more soft from a handicapping perspective. It must be NXS day here on the bottom line. One day I'll learn how to program the music in here. Coming up today on ESPN Radio, right after us, the Angelo Show at the top of the hour. I'm sure he'll have a recap on the NBA draft, as well as everyone, everything else in the sports world. Uh, so make sure to tune into him, top of the hour, as he walks in the door right now. Reds today at 1240, and we have Red Sox and Rays. Coming up tonight at 7 o'clock here on ESPN Road, Sunday night game. What's coming up on the Angelo Show, top of the hour, Angelo Carriero? You hit it on the head, Brad Taylor. We're going to review the NBA draft. Uh, you gave me a prop uh, last week. You texted it to me. Isaiah Jackson, believe it was over under 18.5 or 19.5. It was one of the two. And Brandon Boston, 38.5. I said it would be the under on both. Even though I kind of was weary about Isaiah Jackson, well, it was over on both as both slipped past their uh, projected spots. Which way did you go? Uh, I didn't touch them. Yeah, that was a, it was risky proposition. Risky on both sides. But uh, if I had gone anyway, I would have listened to Angelo Carriero because he was the NBA draft expert, just like he's the NFL draft expert here at ESPN Radio. Great stuff coming up with Angelo, top of the hour. Make sure to tune in uh, next week to us. Make sure to email us anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. And until the next time, as always, may the winners be yours.